Hey everyone, this is Jeff Schulman, and before we begin today's episode, I just want to give a call out to all of you aspiring product managers who are committed to a more inclusive future. If you've been putting in the work, you've been studying product management, interviewing for roles, and just haven't been able to land the job, the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator might be for you. Check it out. The link for the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator is in the description of this episode. And we are so grateful for our sponsors, T-Mobile and Starbucks, who enable the University of Washington to offer this program free. This 12-week program is online. Applications open June 8th. Thank you to T-Mobile and Starbucks for sponsoring this. And to all of you aspiring product managers, set your calendar and check it out. Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I am the founding director of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. And every single week, we are bringing you some of the best and brightest people to share how you could succeed in product management. And we have an awesome opportunity here at the University of Washington. We have a chance to bring together both industry leaders and academic experts. And right here in my building, I have a colleague who is doing some fantastic work on sleep and what it does to creativity, opportunity identification, and just how you could how sleep affects your work and how you can get better sleep. And I'm out of breath here because I ran up the stairs to have this conversation. And so, Chris, tell us just a little bit about yourself and uh, then we'll get started learning about your research. Sure. My name is Chris Barnes. I'm a professor of organizational behavior here in the Foster School of Business at the University of Washington. And I believe that I am the first management professor in a business school to make sleep my primary research interest. So that's what a lot of my research examines is the relationship between sleep and work in both directions. All right. So we're going to tap into that. And then Red, we are going to let people ask questions. So Red, tell them a little bit how everybody can get involved in today's conversation. Absolutely. So in about 15 to 20 minutes around the half hour mark, we open up the stage to everyone who's listening in now to ask questions. So if you're somebody who would like to get a question answered, please, you'll raise your hand, you'll get on stage. We also have the opportunity if you're shy, which is totally fine. We understand. We work with a lot of product managers who don't like to get on stage. They like to be in the background. Heck yeah, let's celebrate that. You can DM me, send me a message privately, and I'll ask the question with anonymity. I always get problems. You know, it's like, Jeff, you ever seen Nemo when he's like trying to say the house he lives in? It's a anemone. anemone. Same thing with anonymity. I can't say the word. It's a hard word to real- say. If Very you, hard word. If you got more sleep, you'd be able to say it better. Ugh. And thank you, Red, for letting people know how they can get involved today. And then real quick, before we get into the cutting edge research on sleep and leadership and creativity, and then a couple tips on how you could sleep better, Kara is here. And Kara is going to take on some guest hosting duties while I am away for a little bit, or we hope. So this is her tryout. It's like live with Regis and Kathy Lee. Then they tried out somebody. And then eventually now we have live with, I don't know, that's going terribly. Who, who is the host of that now? Red? Kara, Chris, anybody well, know? I'm sorry. I was just honored you were calling me Kathy Lee. Yes. You're, <laughs> so. <laughs> Fair enough. So we have Kara here, who is our associate director. Kara, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. No pressure. Happy to tell you about myself. I'm the associate director of the Product Management Center. I have been on the team for a year and a half now, doing a lot of great work and things that I enjoy doing, supporting um, a product management community. Prior to that, I've been at the Foster School for about seven years and excited to hear a bit more about how, uh, you know, sleep affects leadership and productivity. All right. And speaking of productivity, are we having a productive conversation? Were you able to hear us? Because we're trying a new tech with two people on the same system. Red, give me the give me the thumbs up, thumbs down. How'd that go? Well, it sounded like Kara was a little further away than you are, but huh. albeit... I don't think people here are to judge. We're all trying to help each other inclusively move <laughs> in the right direction. Thanks, Red. So. so we'll try to get that fixed. And then, Kara, real quick, uh, what are you working on right now that might be relevant to our audience? 
So right now I'm working on the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator cohort for fall of 2023. The application opens on June 8th and it closes on June 20th. We are going to be hosting an information session. So if you'd like to join us online for that, it's going to be on June 6th at 530. And we have a registration link uh, going up on our website. It's also all over LinkedIn. All right. So now, Chris, thank you for your patience. Now we're all about you for a minute here or for an hour here. Can you tell us briefly, like, what gave you the indication that there's ground to be had here in finding research on sleep? So where was your first indication that inspired you to spend years understanding sleep and its effect on uh, productivity and leadership and creativity? My research interest in sleep actually predates my academic career. Um, Before I pursued my PhD in organizational behavior, I was an officer in the United States Air Force, and I worked in the Air Force Research Laboratory in the Fatigue Countermeasures Branch. So that's a branch of the Air Force where they try to figure out how to manage contexts in which they have people flying very, very long missions at times of the day you don't normally do waking activities. So I found that context very fascinating. That's a, that's a much more extreme context for sleep deprivation than most people experience. But I found it interesting enough that I wanted to actually be a researcher uh, rather than just one helping to manage research. So I I pursued my PhD in organizational behavior, and I sat down to gather all the research literature about management and leadership that's relevant to sleep. And that was a very short literature review. It just wasn't really part of the literature. And so I sort of decided to make it my mission to bring that topic into our management research literature because I think it's really important. All right. So product managers need to influence without authority. So they need to lead, although they don't have uh, direct reports very often unless they're a manager of product managers. They have to bring these stakeholders together to orient towards building success for your company, for your customers, and hopefully in the future it'll be for society as well. What has been the most surprising result that you've had as it relates to sleep that might be of interest to product managers? There's sort of two surprising findings. One is a little bit more basic than the other, and that is that even small amounts of lost sleep can have meaningful effects, outcomes that we care about in the workplace. So some of my early research in this area looked at the the change we have from daylight saving time in the spring. So we, we push the clocks ahead by an hour in the spring, and that ends up costing most of us somewhere around 40 minutes of sleep that we feel on Monday morning. So you come to Monday morning, a little bit more sleep deprived than on a typical day, but not by a large amount. So you wouldn't think that would be enough to have a meaningful effect. But across several of my papers, some other research out there, we find actually even that small amount of lost sleep can have an effect on things that we care about, like workplace injuries. Uh, so I have a paper showing that on that Monday, I call it Sleepy Monday, that workplace injuries go up by five and a half percent, and cyber loafing at work goes up by a similar amount, somewhere around five to ten percent. Other outcomes like that. So. You might think, okay, if I miss an hour or two of sleep, it's not that big of a deal. That's just not consistent with what the research data had to say. The other thing that surprised me that really took my program research in an interesting direction was the idea that one person's sleep could have meaningful effects on the workplace's experiences and outcomes of other people. Uh, And so this is where I hit it from the leadership angle. So across several different projects, I find that when the leader doesn't get enough sleep or doesn't get good quality sleep, then this taints that leader's interaction with other people in the workplace. And they tend to get a worse experience out of it and also worse work outcomes as well. So my sleep influences my own work outcomes, but my sleep also influences the work outcomes of other people around me. And I just continue to find that really fascinating because it highlights the interpersonal nature of how these things unfold. Did you say cyber loafing? (laughs) Yeah, so cyber loafing is... When you are paid to be working, maybe in an hourly job or or something like that, at least you're on a shift where you're supposed to be doing your job. And instead of doing your job, maybe you're on YouTube or uh, I guess the the cool kids nowadays are on TikTok. So maybe you're watching videos on TikTok instead of doing your job. Um, So that becomes more prevalent when people are sleep deprived than when they're well rested. Man, I got to say that is both an academic term and I think that just needs to go mainstream. I don't know if it is mainstream already, but... I love cyber loafing. So Kara, no more cyber loafing, please. <laughs> All right. So you talk about how uh, sleep, even just a little bit of uh, change, can affect not just yourself, but your team. I know you you found some research on opportunity identification or evaluation as it relates to sleep. Opportunity evaluation and identification is critical for product managers. So can you tell us a little bit about the results there? 
Sure. So this is an interesting literature to, to tie into, and that opportunity evaluation is based on the idea that entrepreneurs in particular, but people in other areas as well, such as product managers, are presented with many potential opportunities, and they have to decide, is this worth pursuing, or is this something I should pass on? There's only so many things I can pursue at any given time, so this sort of rank ordering of these opportunities is really important in making those decisions for how to allocate your time and your effort and other resources. So my colleagues and I conducted a study to examine how does sleep deprivation influence this process of opportunity evaluation. So our idea was when you are sleep deprived, you will tend to process things in a much more surfacey way. You won't dig as deep to find the potential flaws in the opportunity to say, oh, actually, that looks like a good idea on the surface, but if I dig a little deeper, I can see why it's actually not a good opportunity. So across a couple of series, a couple of studies, including a laboratory experiment in which we manipulated people's sleep, we sleep deprived people by just a few hours, we found that for really good opportunities, and these were identified based on uh, third-party expert evaluations, so these were as close to as objectively good ideas as we can get, there wasn't much of a difference between those who are well-rested and those who are sleep-deprived. Really, really good opportunities are relatively easy to spot. Everyone can agree those are good opportunities, and you try to pounce on them. Where we saw the difference was on the other end of the scale. So when people are sleep-deprived, because they are engaging in this more surface-level processing, they don't do the extra work to find those flaws, and so the bad ideas don't look so bad to somebody who's sleep deprived. So that's where we see the difference. Someone who's well rested can spot those flaws and say, ooh, I'm not gonna pursue that idea. Here, here's the flaw, here's the reason why it's gonna be something that's gonna draw down my resources or turn into a problem down the road for reasons X, Y, and Z. But the sleep deprived person doesn't spot those problems and sees that as a good opportunity. And so it's sort of a trap where if they were well rested, they could avoid the trap, but because they are sleep deprived, they're more likely to fall into the trap and then get engaged in some sort of a quagmire project. All right. So if I want Kara to think my ideas are great, I need to have her kids stay up really late and sleep deprived. But if I want her to catch where I'm making some mistakes, then we got to make sure she's well rested. Is that the conclusion? Well, I'm a bit more optimistic that you have good ideas to start with. But maybe for someone else who had worse ideas, maybe that would be true. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. See, we like, I like this guest already. So we're going to get to, I, I presume, we're, we're going to hear a couple things about where sleep, things go sideways, and you're going to give us some tips as to how to make sure you're getting better sleep. But I want to first just keep hearing a little bit more about how it goes sideways. So we've got opportunity evaluation. We've got leadership. Creativity. Tell us a little bit about uh, what happens with sleep and creativity. Sure. Let's talk about sleep and creativity, and then maybe we can dig in a little bit more with regards to the details of how sleep influences leadership, because that's also very important to uh, product managers. So with regards to creativity, there's a couple of really interesting uh, research studies, not mine, but I think they're really cool and have important implications for uh, product management and work in general. You have to think about creativity as how creative you're able to be in the moment, and also sort of a process of letting an idea brew for a while. And we can even say you sleep on the idea and see if you can come up with some creative insight, right? So a lot of creative context, you have a difficult problem, the solution's not clear, and hopefully a novel solution can emerge from some cognitive work that you do. So there's a few papers out there to indicate, firstly, that that process of sort of sleeping on it and waking up with a creative solution, there's something to that. So what they find is when they gave people a very difficult problem to solve, that really you have to have some creative insight to be able to solve it. In both groups, the same amount of time elapsed after they presented them with the problem until they asked them for the solution. I think it was a 12-hour time gap. And so in the sleep deprivation, or sorry, in the, in the sleep condition, people were able to sleep during uh, some portion of those 12 hours. So most people slept somewhere around seven or eight hours. And then the other condition, it was just during the middle of the day. And so what they found was that when people were able to spend some of that time between the presentation of the problem and the, uh, their solution to it, able to sleep during some of that time, they were actually more likely to reach that creative insight compared to people who had the same amount of time to think about it, but were not able to sleep. So you can actually engage in some of that creativity while you are asleep. And then there's a separate line of research to indicate that creativity draws uh, disproportionately from the prefrontal cortex region of your brain. And this is one region of your brain which is disproportionately influenced by sleep deprivation. So we find that when people are 
put on the spot and asked to do some creative work, engaged in some innovation, they are less effective at doing that if they haven't slept enough the night before. So you want to sleep the night before you do something creative, and perhaps you might even want to pause and then sleep on it and then return to it. And in both of those cases, you will increase your odds of reaching some new creative insight that might be useful to whatever you're working on. So that's kind of the relationship between sleep and creativity. All right. So that there's actually research and science behind this idea of, of saying, hey, let's just sleep on it. And so do you have any insight as to like what kinds of decisions or what kinds of thought processes or problem solving that we should have that, hey, let's sleep on it versus when we should just say, here's the problem, let's solve it right now? Yeah. So this is going to be very context dependent. And so typically there's going to be some sort of urgency that's determined by the situation that says we must have a solution right now versus, well, we, we need a solution, but it can wait a day or two. The problem is that oftentimes it's framed as if it's really urgent and we need a solution right now, even when maybe that's not actually the case. So the, I think my best advice there would be to ask, okay, when do we really need the solution? Is there time for me to brew on this and come up with a better solution? Maybe sleep on it, come up with a solution tomorrow. Can I do this? And you might be surprised at how often that would work, where that initial sense of urgency that's conveyed, if you resist it a little bit, then the person will back off and say, okay, okay, I was just padding my timeline. I can give you a little bit more time to give me a better creative solution. Yeah, that sounds about right. I typically have to ask Jeff to wait for me to give him an answer on something. So you mentioned, Chris, that you were going to share a little bit more about the effects of sleep on leadership. Do you think you could dive into that for us? Sure. So as Jeff mentioned, uh, being a product manager, you have to sort of lead without influence. So you can't just pull rank and say, I'm giving you an order to do this. So the relationships that you manage are super important for a product manager. And so my research looks at how sleep influences those relationships and those interpersonal reaction, uh, interactions in the context of someone who's in charge of a project or some people. Uh, but the implications, I think, are still there for product managers as well. So in the first of these studies, we looked at um, abusive leadership, uh, abusive supervision. So this is basically uh, jerky behavior towards others in the workplace. And going in, our, our, our theory was that when people are sleep deprived, their ability to manage their emotions and engage in self-control will, will be undermined, uh, which is consistent with previous literature. Uh, and because of that, they will be more likely to lash out at others in the workplace. And because of that, People who receive this abuse will be less engaged in their work. In a diary study, 89 leaders and their subordinates over the course of two work weeks, we found that, indeed, when the leader got a poor quality night of sleep the night before, he or she went to work the next day with less self-control, lashed out more frequently towards subordinates, uh, and as a result, those subordinates were less engaged in their work. So this was the, the first of this program of research in which I found that the sleep of the leader actually influences the work outcomes of other people. Then we followed up on this uh, just a few years later in another paper, looking more specifically on the relationships between leaders and the people that they work with. We found that when leaders are sleep deprived, they express more hostility towards their subordinates, uh, towards other people at work. And then those people see the relationship to be of poor quality as a result vice versa as well. When those people suffer from sleep deprivation, they express more hostility towards the leader, and then the leader thinks the relationship is of poor quality. And what was interesting about this particular study is that neither party seems to be very aware of the effect of their own sleep on the relationship quality as seen by the other party. So, for example, you might have a leader who's sleep deprived. They think their relationship with the other person is just fine. But the other partner sees hostility, and so they see the relationship to be a poor quality. And so that gap between the quality of the relationship as seen by the leader and the quality of the relationship seen by the other party, that gap is driven in part by uh, sleep deprivation. And then a third paper we had in this program of research, we looked at charisma. Uh, and I could see this as especially relevant to product managers who don't have direct authority over people but must still influence them. Charisma is where you inspire and excite people, where you want them to get excited about the mission that you're trying to accomplish and maybe the vision of the organization if you're at a higher level. And so what we found was that when leaders are sleep deprived, they're less likely to express these positive emotions like hope and excitement. And as a result, they are seen as less charismatic. And then this works on the other side as well. When other people are sleep deprived, 
it's harder to inspire them. So if you imagine that, that uh, you're working for a leader who's trying to give you a big rah-rah exciting speech, and kind of fire you up. If you're sleep deprived, you're just trying to make it through the day. And that, that rah-rah speech is going to not land as well as if you were well rested and in a better position to receive that. So in, in both cases, when the leader is sleep deprived or if the other people are sleep deprived, both of those forms of sleep deprivation undermine the charisma um, of the leader uh, in that context. So across these three different studies, we find that sleep deprivation undermines leadership in three specific ways. So this ties into a larger and ongoing stream of research, but I think those studies kind of capture the, the essence of where that's going. All right, lots to unpack there. But first, as I'm chewing a bite of my shawarma king salad here, I need to know, Kara, is it time to get to tips for how people could overcome these uh, deficits that happen when you have a sleep deficit? Or should we let them, the audience, ask the questions that they have for Chris and Red and I and you? Let's let the audience ask questions. All right. So we're going we're gonna to tease that we're still going to get some tips on how you could be a better leader through getting better sleep, uh, get more creativity and better opportunity evaluation. But Red, I usually have a question for you, but I'm going to let Kara ask it and see if she has the same enthusiasm that I do. Yeah, I have a question for Red. So I want to know, do you take a nap in the middle of the day, especially when faced with some tough decision-making or creative problem-solving? I have to say, I thought you were going to ask me if I was ready. Threw <laughs> <laughs> you the curveball, man. <laughs> and, and Chris, not only does our host, Jeffrey, love to show up late, tired, and eat on a podcast. He also <laughs> loves the absolute punniest of puns that two years strong. So for all those podcasters out there, that's the first time I've ever done it. And I just feel dirty. I just feel so dirty. All right. Um, okay. So uh, Kara, as a father of three kids that are under seven, I will nap anywhere. I mean, and you name it. Uh, if it's Thanksgiving dinner, I'm under there halfway through the meal on the hardwood floor. If it's the middle of a meeting and I'm like, can you excuse me? I'll go step out and just pass out on the concrete of the one of these tech buildings. It's just, I value sleep so much, but I don't think I sleep like normal people. When, when I say nap, I don't mean like passing out and going into REM. I mean, proactively saying to myself, I'm going to set aside time every day to pull back from what I'm doing. Even if I'm deep in, I need to pull back because only as Chris, you said so elegantly like you got to sleep on it you have to be able to recharge and in the middle of a day there has to be a point at least for me where i recharge and what i call a nap can simply be meditation or a single breath oh red man you got i was gonna ask if kara would ask you if you are red e for audience questions but <laughs> you just inspired a question that now i need to know of chris so chris you've talked about all these benefits of sleep consequences of sleep, not having enough sleep are there alternatives that work the same way or is there something special about sleep? Like can meditation achieve the same goal or are there any other ways to achieve the same thing? Well, this is sort of where my research is going in the future towards a bigger topic of human sustainability. And so this gets pretty complicated because we get lots of advice for how to live in a sustainable way with regards to our own health and well-being, but also our productivity, right? So you might hear things like, you should exercise every day. Of course, that's true. And you should eat healthily every day. And of course, that's true. And, and you should engage in mindfulness maybe every day, maybe 20 minutes a day. And you should get the sleep that you need. And you should take some time to relax. And you should have a hobby. And of course, you have other demands on your time. So how do we prioritize amongst all these different methods of recovery? I don't think we have a strong science to tell us when you should engage in which of these. I think the closest we have is we have our own biological systems and our own monitoring systems that tell us when we're hungry and when we're tired, when we need sleep, when we need to rest. So the best we can do for now is to pay attention to these biological signs. And so if you are able to fall asleep very quickly, perhaps in the middle of the day for a nap, or even when it's nighttime, if you can fall asleep within, say, five minutes, these are signs that your body is telling you, I need more sleep. So let's bump sleep up the priority list. There might be other contexts in which you're getting plenty of sleep and what you really need more is mindfulness or what you need more is exercise or good food. And so we need to have a more developed science to really 
navigate that in a truly sophisticated way. But I think we're going to get there within the next decade or so. But I think that my short answer to this is listen to your body because it usually gives you pretty good data. It's not perfect, of course. But if your body's asking you for more sleep, you have to listen. And ideally, it's not asking you for more sleep because you're already getting the sleep that you need. But that means that you have to listen all the more if it's saying, hey, I'm kind of tired right now. We should get a little nap now or we should sleep a little bit more tonight. All right. So we're going to make sure the audience doesn't go to sleep here, that they are going to be engaged, asking questions, read tell them how they can uh, or do your thing man <laughs> <laughs> yeah we already did the ready bit huh so if you are someone who wants to ask a question raise your hand there, there's an option on your screen where you can request to come up on stage please please use this opportunity there is absolutely nothing more important than sleep i watched a netflix movie about people who didn't sleep and they started killing each other that makes me an expert so if you're someone who wants to join me the expert on sleep Raise your hand so that you can actually ask the real expert to my right about sleep. And for those who want to PM or DM me questions, again, I'll keep it anonymous. I want to protect your identity, but at the same time, I want to give you a chance to vocalize or vent. Um, I do actually have, while we're waiting for hand raises, I got a DM over here for Chris. So uh, the question is, and again, for anonymous reasons, no names, and I think it could be very well due to the fact that it's tied to work. It has to do with the fact that a workplace environment which requires you to meet certain deadlines might require working into the night. But then there's that catch-22 that if you're working too much that, you know, past the hour, that it would affect your sleep. How do you use this science and data to have a candid conversation? So, you know, this is a PM if they're talking about candid conversations, a great book if you haven't read it, with your boss to explain that this isn't the right environment. Yeah, so I think to answer that question, I'm going to answer maybe a related and, and larger question about human sustainability, right? So what we really want is people to be able to maintain a high level of performance over a long period of time. What we don't want is for people to engage in a sprint in which they can maybe get a lot of work done for a few days or a few weeks or a few months, and then there's some sort of crash afterwards. And that crash can take many forms. Maybe it's burnout. Maybe it's a major health problem. Maybe it's them just quitting the organization because they're miserable. So we want to find that level that's sustainable. And that sustainability means a sustainable level of sleep, but also a sustainable level of work as well and, and non-work hours, which can help you recover. So when I teach MBA students on this topic of human sustainability, I tell them that there's a few questions that your boss should be asking you and that you should be asking people who work for you. And probably the central of this is, is your current workload sustainable? Can you keep this up indefinitely without suffering some sort of uh, performance decline in the future or some sort of health decline in, in the near future? And if it's not sustainable, what should we do to manage that? Is there a way to get someone more resources? Maybe they need a bigger budget. Maybe they need more people working under them or with them. Maybe a timeline should be pushed out so there's more time to do the work without having to work in an unsustainable way. So let's find solutions. It requires asking that question, is your current workload sustainable? And so when I ask my MBA students, in your work history, how many of you have had bosses which have asked you that question? There's not a lot of hands that go up. And so I make sure to emphasize that that's a question they should be asking their subordinates as well. To go with this, I think there's an important conversation about the trade-off between quantity and quality of work. You can always squeeze in, well, not always, but to a certain level, Within the, the, the limits of a 24-hour day, you can always squeeze in more work uh, by staying in a, an extra hour and cranking out more PowerPoint slides or whatever else you're working on. You can do more work, but especially as that eats more and more into your sleep time, there's going to be a cost of quality. So you have to ask yourself and maybe have a conversation with your boss as well. What is the importance of quality in the work that I'm doing here? What's the importance of innovation and creativity? What's the importance of avoiding mistakes? And I'm sure there are some contexts in which you can sort of work on autopilot and quality is, is sort of kept within very strict guardrails. So I imagine if someone's uh, flipping burgers, maybe some clear procedural limits to the mistakes you can make in that context. doesn't require a lot of creativity. So someone might even say you could do that in your sleep, which is kind of what you're doing if you do it when you're extremely sleep deprived. So maybe in that context, we can tilt it a little bit more towards quantity of work and the sacrifice of quality is limited by the nature of the task. So maybe in that context, it's not that big of a problem. 
But in many of the other contexts, and I suspect a lot of people listening, quality matters a lot. Innovation matters a lot. And so if quality and innovation matter, you have to monitor this trade-off between the quantity of work that you do and the quantity of work that you do. And at some point, you reach too far. And by working those extra few hours and, and taking them away from sleep, you're going to pay the price and that there are going to be mistakes that creep into your work and you're not going to notice them until they become big problems later on. And you're going to miss opportunities to engage in creativity yourself. And you're going to have this skewed process of opportunity evaluation. You're going to pounce on the wrong opportunities as well. So by better acknowledging that trade-off between quantity and quality, we can make some better choices for ourselves and we can negotiate better choices with the people who we have to talk about with what our workload is. You might not be able to change the mind of your boss, but over time you will become the boss. And so you will have this influence over people who report to you. And so I hope that you can create that context, even if you were not uh, the beneficial recipient of that context. So I, I think I've kind of in a roundabout way answered that question, but I'm happy to, uh, to dig further in if there's more. All right, Red. So channel your DMs, have that person uh, follow up if their question got answered or if they have a follow-up question. First, I just want to say, Chris, yes, exactly. Like we have the, in product management, you know, there's this constant pressure to what we call ship features. So like keep uh, building new, new products, putting them out there into the world. And, you know, building the wrong thing is so much more costly than not than waiting to build the right thing. And so there's this tension between feeling like you're moving and then also being taking the time to make sure you're moving forward in the right direction. And it sounds like sleep is another one of those areas where it's not just knowing are we doing the right thing, but hey, are you doing the right thing for your body before you're doing uh, the right thing for your business and for your customers? So love that point. Anything to add to that before I go back to Red, Chris, on the whole tension between quality and quantity? I think a, a related point here is that there's this myth that, okay, I know other people need eight hours of sleep, but you know what? As long as I get, say, four or five, six good quality hours of sleep, I will be fine. There's something magical about me that makes me less vulnerable to the effects of sleep deprivation than other people. So the reason I call it a, a semi-myth is because there is a specific genetic mutation that does leave some portion of the population less vulnerable to the effects of sleep deprivation. There's a few problems with that. One is that it's very, very rare. It's far less than 1%. And the other is that even that relative invulnerability to the effects of sleep deprivation, that varies across different tasks. So you might be less vulnerable to sleep deprivation when you're doing one type of task, but then you have to switch to another, and now you're just as vulnerable as everyone else. So that's why it's a semi-myth. And the, the problem this the reason this is a big problem is if I ask, say, in an MBA class, how many of you are short sleep superheroes where you can sleep four or five, six hours on a regular basis and not suffer any ill consequences, a relatively large portion of the hands will go up in the classroom. So if we do just basic math of the people who think they're short sleep superheroes and people who genetically are short sleep superheroes, the vast overwhelming majority of people are wrong in their self-assessment. They're, they're essentially fooling themselves to say that I, I can sleep just fine on four or five, six hours of sleep without any ill effects on my health or in the workplace. So if you are one of these people who are telling themselves that story, just know that you're probably wrong and you should reassess the way sleep is influencing your, your health and your, and your work outcomes. No, this is great. We're tag teaming, working together here. This is great. You know, I have a semi-question slash comment that I think is really helpful to point out from Joanna. Joanna also is someone that is focused on sleep and uh, provides for those out there that need help. But again, trying to keep it anonymous and protecting identities. You know, we have not mentioned or rather as it relates to this question for workplace, we haven't focused on maybe those who have an impairment. Right, Jeff, like we, we focus on inclusive product management. And that can very well mean a physical impairment, a neurodivergence, uh, and one they pointed out was insomnia. So rather than those who are sleep deprived, there's this whole category I don't think we've really touched on, which is yes. those who suffer from insomnia. Where are your thoughts are there? Sleep deprivation can come from many sources. It might be personal choices. It might be work pressures. There could also be some physiological reasons for sleep deprivation where people are trying to sleep and they're not able to get enough sleep or the right quality sleep that they need. And so insomnia is probably the most prevalent sleep disorder. It's either that or obstructive sleep apnea. 
I've seen papers go both ways on that. So insomnia is what you think it is. It's a difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep throughout the night. And when you suffer from insomnia, then you always feel like you're not getting the sleep that you need. So everyone's had at least some experience with insomnia. Some people have dramatic experiences with insomnia. Another very common uh, sleep disorder is obstructive sleep apnea, which is when you are asleep and then your airway essentially closes off uh, and you stop breathing, uh, perhaps for multiple seconds. And then your body says, emergency, emergency, no oxygen. And so you choke yourself awake, you cough yourself awake. And so the good news is you start breathing again. And so you don't die. That's awesome. The bad news is you have now disrupted your sleep. Even if you didn't wake up all the way, you have at least gone from a, a deeper stage of sleep to a more shallow stage of sleep. So now you are altering what we call sleep architecture, which is the physiological processes that occur while you're asleep. So these two disorders are very prevalent. Probably uh, 10% plus of Americans have insomnia. 10% plus of Americans have sleep apnea. And uh, sleep apnea is trending towards greater prevalence, in part because obesity is one of the risk factors for insomnia. So the research on this is very clear that these are sleep disorders that can have dramatically terrible effects on people's sleep and their quality of life uh, and, a, and a small literature on their, on their work outcomes as well, but they are treatable. So there is something called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which does not require any medications, really boils down to changing the way people think about sleep, changing their behaviors around the context of sleep uh, so that they are able to get better sleep. That's the, the best treatment for um, insomnia. And then for sleep apnea, the best treatment available right now is continuous positive airway pressure devices. They're called CPAP devices. So it's a little mask you put on your face and there's a tube that's pushing air into the mask. So this helps to keep your airways open when you're breathing. So you don't have those moments where your airways close and you're not able to breathe and then you wake yourself up. So sleep disorders are sort of a complicated ecology of medical issues. Uh, there are many more than just those two, but the majority of them have very effective ways to treat the sleep disorder so that you can get better sleep and get better work outcomes as a result. And in some of my research, I examined some of these ways to treat sleep. So I have a paper from 2017 that shows that when you take people who have insomnia, we randomly assigned half of them to receive cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. The other half were waitlisted, so they eventually got treatment, but not until after the study. We found that, as expected, not only did treatment improve their insomnia, but it improved their, uh, their moods at work, their self-control, their job satisfaction. It improved the degree to which they helped their colleagues at work. I believe it improved their work engagement as well. So it's a relatively simple idea that if you have someone who's suffering from a sleep disorder, you can get them treatment for that sleep disorder and they get better health and you get a better employee as a result. These are win-win scenarios. And usually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, some of these treatment programs are not even that expensive. So cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, there's an automated version of this that retails for something like $300 per person. So imagine if you can invest $300 into an employee and you get a better employee as a result, I bet there's a lot of HR managers that, that would line up around the block to get that kind of an ROI on improving the performance of their employees. So some of these treatment systems are more expensive. Some of them are relatively cheap. But I think, generally speaking, people are underinformed in not only the types and prevalence of sleep disorders, but the degree in which they are treatable. And if you get linked up with sleep medicine professionals, they can help address a lot of these issues. Agreed. I've got to tell you, man, short of like strapping one of those magnetic, uh, I don't know, stimulation devices to my head and making me feel like some kind of futuristic robot. I have to say the CPAP machine has become regularized in the younger communities where it might have been an older individual that was associated with this device. You're now finding people who are really focused on their health and well-being and they're willing to try a device. The only problem, Chris, in this entire answer you provided, the only hole in your chronobiological disruption is not accounting for my wife hitting me because I'm snoring and she wants me to stop. You see, that's the factor that's missing in all this is how do we get them not to throw a sock or hit me with a pillow in the middle of the night? That's the piece that's missing. Well, maybe, maybe she's right to do it. Uh, I have a, a new paper. It's not yet published. We actually sort of extend this line of research on sleep and leadership and creativity by examining sleep disorders in spouses. And so... Uh, we find that if one spouse has sleep apnea, because they, are, they create so much noise and movement that it can disrupt the sleep of their partner, 
then that partner is less effective eating the creativity of their teams at work. You've got Uh, like an audience. If there was a digital standing ovation possible in LinkedIn, you can see these emojis popping up where people are just absolutely, well done, sir. Well, well done. And I love Red. I don't know if we're, we could push your wife's, uh, what she's doing, but like you were faking your focus. You're like, she's throwing the sock at me. And Chris is saying, no, man, you are ruining her creativity in leadership. And doesn't she, isn't creativity all about what she does? Well, if she was sleeping, she wouldn't hear me snore. So I think there's just a, okay, marriage counseling will be our next. Well, PM, snoring uh, can get up to <laughs> 60 decibels, which is definitely enough to wake people. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, in this particular study, we found that one sad solution was what's known as a sleep divorce. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, ideally you treat the sleep disorder, but not everyone is able to do that or has access to such resources. And so just sleeping in different areas where one person snoring won't wake up the other person, that's enough to break that link so that if you are snoring, it won't disrupt your wife's ability to enhance the creativity of her teams. Unreal, Jeff. We got cyber loafing and we got sleep divorce. There's got to be a word cloud somewhere. Yeah, I'm loving it. And I don't want to be there when you ask for the sleep divorce, man. I don't know. (laughs) No, no. I asked my wife for a cyber loaf and then she's like, huh? It's time for a sleep divorce. Yeah, it's time. (laughs) All right, Red, we've got two people on stage. I'm sorry. You're doing awesome. And I'm just loving this. No worries. We're going to go in order of those who jumped on stage first is Thomas. You've been amazing dropping your emojis like wildfire. As someone who's a specialist, maybe you'll ask a special question for us today. How can we help? G'day, Red. How are you doing, mate? Fantastic. How are you? I don't know. I'm all right. But I'm in the middle of a sleep divorce from Australia because uh, we have we're in the middle of the winter here, and seriously speaking, I've done sleep apnea for approximately 16 years, and I don't want to put a dampener on anyone's opinion of CPAP, but I have a phobia of masks, so unfortunately, due to COVID, so um, that kind of uh, solution or didn't work for me, so I'm going down another track of the uh, the mouth guard, which uh, brings the jaw forward. I'm just going to throw this out there because I know it's hard to vent and talk about yourself on public air. I do it every day. I use the same thing and it okay. changed my life. So I want you to feel comfortable talking about anything you're talking about. Yeah, thanks, Ray. So basically, I'm um, in the middle of using the, uh, you trying to use the, the mouth guard. So um, I've only had it for a couple of weeks and hopefully I'll persist with it because otherwise I probably will get a divorce. But um yeah, I'm persisting with it, but it's not easy. But I'm hoping that the mouth guard will work because then it will change my life. Thank you. Well, for, for most sleep disorders, including sleep apnea, there are multiple phases of treatment. So if the first line of defense doesn't work, then there's a second line and a third line. And we usually prefer to, to prioritize the ones that are least invasive over the ones that are most invasive. So CPAP devices tend to work the best across the greatest number of people. But there are some people who either they just can't get the right right fit or it doesn't feel very comfortable or just too much of a hassle. For whatever reason, either it doesn't work or they they won't use them. So there are other uh, ways to to treat this disorder. There are certain mouth guards that can help reposition the jaw. There are surgeries which can reshape the airways. My favorite, just because it sounds cool, is didgeridoo training regimen where from uh, down under there, you're probably more familiar with this uh, musical instrument than I am. But this is a, a large musical device that requires a lot of air input. And so essentially you're exercising some of the muscles that help keep the airways open. And then this can lower the prevalence of sleep apnea. So this is a newer, newer line of research, but the initial research indicates that that might be an effective way to treat sleep apnea for those people who just can't get the same treatment benefits out of CPAP devices or other other things. So rather than getting too hung up specifically on sleep apnea, I think the, the bigger message here is across the many different types of sleep disorders, there are different steps for treatment. And if you get linked up with a sleep medicine professional, they can usually work you through these different steps until they find one that works for you. Because ultimately, um, you know, your, your body and your experiences are different than other people. So we have to find the right fit. Uh, but I'm confident that most people can get that right fit and get uh, some positive movement in their sleep and thus their health and also their work outcomes as an end result. All right, Thomas, that's right. You heard it first. A giant straw that makes... I'm sorry, that's a horrible interpretation of the musical instrument I love. But that device could change your life. Thomas, did you get the answer you were hoping for, my friend? Was that helpful? 
Uh, yeah, Christopher, thank you for that. I appreciate that, your uh, empathy. And uh, I actually know a breathing specialist who, who specialises in the, the reverse didgeridoo breathing, so I might even engage him if the mouth guard doesn't work. But thank you for, uh, for your uh, empathy. Okay. Great, I hope that works for you. And for anyone else who's not aware of any of these treatments, these are real. These are available. You don't have to go far. Ask your primary care doctor, or I would avoid WebMD. I would literally ask a professional or your network on your social networks, has anyone else done this? When you ask, is anyone else seeking treatment for sleep, you'll be blown away to see the volume of others. Just like, again, Thomas jumped on stage and said, I'm doing this thing, and here I am going, I did it too. So don't be afraid, folks. Jump in here, Red. I think a key point here is that you said was ask your primary care provider to link you up with a sleep expert because sadly, uh, most of our primary care providers have very minimal training in uh, detecting and treating sleep disorders. I think I saw a stat that the average time spent on sleep education in medical school is like half a day or just a few hours, which is grossly insufficient for, for dealing with these sorts of things. And that's not a knock against primary care providers. They have many things they have to know, and they kind of have to be all things to all people. So they probably are not the ones who are going to help you solve your sleep issues, but hopefully they can link you up with someone who can. And there are definitely people out there who are trained specifically to do that. There you heard it, folks. Okay. We're going to head to concluding thoughts here in a moment. But first, Kara, you had a question for Chris. Thanks, Jeff. So, Chris, I wanted to ask you in your time uh, working with MBAs or others um, about your research, if any conversations have come up about different teams starting at different times. So we know product managers work uh, cross-functionally. And I also know from working in tech companies prior to my time at the university that, you know, engineering tends to start later than some other functions. And so how do you kind of grapple with uh, one team's need to get in early and another team's need to you know, come in a little bit later and how that affects their sleep and their schedules. So you're bringing up sort of a multiple levels of complexity here with regards to what we call chronotype. So your chronotype is your own personal circadian process, your circadian rhythm. So all of us have a roughly 24-hour cycle in a lot of our uh, physiological, physiological processes relevant to this conversation is your prevalence to be awake versus asleep. So there's sort of a normal curve where on one tail, we have larks, and larks tend to have a natural physiological preponderance to wake up early in the morning and go to bed early at night. And owls are the opposite. Owls have a tendency to stay up late at night and wake up late in the morning. So a lot of us just assume these are personal choices, but this is at least partly genetically determined. We have some cell-level circadian processes which are also governed uh, more centrally in a specific part of your brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. So it's not totally a voluntary choice. You can always try to override your natural circadian process, but you're sort of swimming upstream there. So you're, you're never going to be in an optimal state if you fight against your circadian rhythm. So if you have an owl, it's best to let that owl work late at night. If you have an, a lark, it's best to let that lark work early in the morning. And in some of my research, we, we find the hazards. When you force a lark to work late at night, that person tends to be more unethical than they are when you're allowed to work early in the morning because their ability to exert self-control to avoid temptations uh, is undermined. And vice versa for, for an owl. Owls tend to be more unethical early in the morning than they are late at night. And we see a similar pattern for lots of other work-based outcomes. The best answer here is let people live their circadian rhythms. So let the larks be larks and let the owls be owls. And a great tool for this is flex time, where you let people choose their hours outside of a, a set of core hours, perhaps. Maybe 10 to 2 would be a common set of core hours. And then some people can start their day before that, or some people could, start, uh, could stay well after that and finish their day late. So in some of my research, I find that when people use their flex time to start their day early rather than late, they are judged as more conscientious and higher performers, even when we hold constant the amount of work they do and the quality of work they do. It's just a bias in the evaluation. So we have this awesome tool of flex time to help people align their circadian rhythms with their work schedules. And then we penalize people for using their work schedules to live the life of an owl. We sort of force them to be larks, even when they're not. 
at a team level, it just gets so much more complicated because you might have a team with people who have different chronotypes. And so you have an owl, you have a lark, you need them to work together. And there's not a lot of hours that are going to be optimized for both of those people. So firstly, you have to find what those hours are and then plan the most important activities for those precious few hours. And then try to work through what parts of the job could we make asynchronous and not occupy those few precious hours of overlap. And then what are some handoff procedures we could have so that when we're, when we're working independently, how can we bring those parts of the task together and integrate them more effectively? And at the end of the day, we're going to have to live with some compromises. And that's especially true in the case of global teams, where you might have some members here in the U.S., some in India, maybe some in Germany, and you need to have some synchronous work. And so somebody's going to suffer. Unfortunately, that usually works out in an unfair way where People in the U.S. tend to have more power in the workplace, and so we force people in India to flex to our schedules. And so they're working at three in the morning by their schedules. I think it's probably best if we rotate that and maybe share the pain in a, in a more equal way. But I don't have any, any magic bullets for this particular scenario where you have people with different chronotypes or different continents working together. Just a few little tips on how to minimize that pain by spending those precious few hours of uh, joint optimality on the most critical tasks. All right, Chris, thank you so much. This hour has been filled with tips for managers, tips for individuals, and you really highlighted the importance of sleep uh, to a product manager and how to kind of navigate and leading with empathy with different chronotypes. And you gave us new words, uh, chronotypes going into my uh, lexicon as well. I want to conclude, we promised people some tips for sleep. We got about one or two minutes to go. If you could tightly just give, uh, you gave some with the sleep apnea, but are there any other tips for getting better sleep uh, that you could pack into a minute or two? To be really brief, uh, one of the most important things you can do is to have a consistent bedtime and a consistent wake time. And where we tend to screw this up is voluntarily jet lagging ourselves on the weekends. So Friday night, Saturday night, we stay out extra late and then we have to adjust on Monday morning. So that would be one. You can manage your light exposure to try to be optimal. So you want exposure to sunlight or blue light. Uh, if you can't access sunlight, you want that in the morning. That's great. Late at night, you want to try to avoid that as much as possible. And so there are some blue light uh, filtering glasses, which can be handy for that as well. Try to minimize your use of caffeine and hold it as a strategic tool that you can deploy when you really need it. So don't drink that caffeine in the evening because it will make it harder for you to fall asleep. But I think those are kind of the, the highest value ones within a one minute time frame. All right. Thank you. And I think you also gave a fantastic sleep tip at the earlier in the show, which was uh, if you're really having trouble, uh, talk to your primary care doctor to get referred to a sleep specialist. And I think Red opened up, you know, there's no shame in these devices and no shame in taking care of your sleep. So thank you, Chris. We have concluding thoughts here. Kara, guests co-host for the day, tell people a little bit uh, in your concluding thoughts, tell people about the IPMA and what's coming up next. So the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator is a program that is fully online. It's 12 weeks, no cost for aspiring product managers from historically marginalized communities. And the application is opening on June 8th. We're doing an information session on June 6th, led by our instructor, and I'll be there as well to help field questions. The cohort program starts at the end of August, and it runs again for 12 weeks, fully online. We hope that you give it some thought as we hope to admit our next cohort for fall of 2023. All right. We're broadening access to economic opportunity with the free 12-week inclusive product management accelerator. That's our concluding thoughts. Chris, we're out of time, but I want to give you a space. If you had any last concluding thoughts or anything that you wanted, if people wanted to get in touch with you, anything you wanted to share here. Yeah, I think my, my last thought is that sleep makes everything better. It makes your health better. It makes your relationships better. It makes your work better. So try to reprioritize it in your life. All right. Great concluding thoughts. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We're back here next week talking about empowering good decision-making. Uh, we've got executives from T-Mobile and Spotify here next week, Tuesday. And then this episode and all episodes are available on the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast, downloadable on every major podcasting platform. Chris, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Have a great day, everybody.